0: Come on in to the Claim the Throne Blodgecast. Thanks for tuning in again for another week. My name's Cabba and I'm here as always with the other band member whose name's Ash. How are you going today, Ashley Large? Really good and super excited. Thanks, mate. What, what are you so pumped for? Because you've got hot pogs there and you just emptied your bladder. Yeah, and
1: also you were talking really excitedly.
0: Oh, in an exciting marketing voice. Claim the Throne is a metal band from <laughs> Perth, <West Australia. laughs> Do you love how before I pressed record, I was like the saddest sack of shit ever? I press record and flick into marketing mode. Flick you, been Yeah. Yeah. So, fucking hell. We just got back from our Hamasonic Festival in Jakarta, Indonesia. I guess we'll be talking about that on uh, this episode. Would that be about right? It sounds about right. How'd you go? I, I had a, a very nice trip. Had a few days in Bali on the way and then met your sorry ass in Jakarta after a big all-night flight of long-ass stopovers and (laughs) (laughs) shitty flights, I'm sure. But we got
1: there. I left on Friday at 6pm Yeah, and arrived in Bali the next day at... No, Bali, sorry. Jakarta the next day at 9am and so that's what, 18 hours? Jesus. And then on the way home, we left at 9am and got home at Midnight. It's a lot of flying. So for the most part, I, I think we were at Hamasonic for half the length of time that we travelled <laughs> over the weekend.
0: Isn't that insane? It is insane. And it's, yeah, I mean, there's there's really not many flights that go direct from Perth to Jakarta. And if they are, they're really expensive. So it's kind of just crazy because the actual time spent in the plane is not that long. Um, but the changes at the airports are just absurd. So kind of crappy. It was good for me because I went direct to Bali for a couple of days and then direct to Jakarta. Um, But then on the way back, obviously, we had a huge changeover in KL Airport where we sat in massage chairs for a good few hours.
1: 30 ringgit at least (laughs) on um, massages, maybe more. What is that, 10 bucks? About 58 minutes, I think. <laughs> About uh, 25 just aces. Yeah, at least. <laughs> but it was pretty cool, man. I really enjoyed my time over there. It was great to sort of be completely drained of all life. And then, <laughs> you know, we had a big meal and a few beers. Woke up the next morning, 6 a.m. Yeah, Couldn't believe I was out of bed that early and feeling refreshed as hell. Had an awesome breakfast or reasonably awesome buffet breakfast. And, yeah, kicked into what became a really cool day, just partied down pretty hard, watched a bunch of bands, not as many as I probably should have. And, yeah, by the end of the night, I was all sorts of messed up and having lots of fun.
0: I think um, just for if there's any Aussie bands out there who um, are hoping to play at that festival one day because um, every year there does seem to be a bit of an Australian attendance, which is really cool, Um, good opportunity for the local bands over here. Um, But it is a really crazy place and things don't operate as they would um, in Australia. So just things to be wary of. And the first one is those flights. Um, So even if you're planning on going for two nights, it's a pretty epic trip as um, Ash just described. Um, Spending more time in transit than actually at the festival
1: yeah and i didn't even account for the two hours each way in a
0: van to the airport that's the other thing yeah the traffic is just out of control you never know whether you're going to get a good run or a really horrid run mm. um so it can take you know a few hours to get not very far distance um so yeah after all that travel then hopping in a van which is cool getting picked up by um hamasonic crew but then um yeah getting stuck in ginormous traffic and um, and then getting dropped at a hotel that you didn't realise you were staying at is an interesting thing too. Yeah. And then when they tell you that um, you can check in in the next five minutes and then they say in then another five minutes and then they say in another five minutes and then they say at 1.30 and then they say at 2.30 and then they say in another five minutes. So you do spend a lot of time in the lobby. Not that that's a bad thing. You can hang around with all the other cool dudes in the bands and get drunk and all that. Um, but it's just, yeah, no one ever really seems to know what's going on, which is... Kind of funny.
1: Yeah. And they do have a lot of help, uh, especially at the Hamasonic Festival. They assign you with one or two people to kind of guide you around and organize your transport. And I think really what it is, because they're super nice people. They have been this time and last time, but they're a little bit, I don't know if it's they're worried to upset the boss because it's a pretty big opportunity for them or they just don't want us to miss out on something and have a shit time. Yeah,
0: I think providing you sort of go there with that mindset, um, being having some sort of idea what to expect, um, then it's all cool and it's just funny as things happen and there's no doubt we all have a good time. Um, but yeah, just, just funny things to talk about and to be aware of and I guess you mentioned um, not being able to watch as many bands as you could have and that may be partly due to our set time, set time changing so drastically. Uh, well, not so drastically, but, you know, a couple hours later than it we'll, yeah. was planned. I think we we'll were booked in for two o'clock or something. And we knew something was up when we were looking at the set times for the day. And on our stage, there was no allowance for changeover times. Um, so we're looking at, you know, the first band at whatever it was, mm. 9.30 or something to 10. And then the next band, 10 to 10.30. And the next band, 10.30 to 11. And the next band, 11 to 11.30. But uh, we were trying to figure out why there would be no change times and we got there and there was no reason. But they just, bands changed over and still got their half hour set. And so we're sort of hanging around the, um, hanging around the, the stage and backstage in the, that area, uh, sort of just waiting to go on. Uh, so, yeah, things don't always go as planned and there's, not, there's no information written up anywhere. You just sort of got to take it as it comes and rely on these liaison people that you've got. Not a huge deal but it's, yeah,
1: interesting. It is, you know, it's funny to recount some of the stories but, yeah, from their perspective as well, they're dealing with everything running late so they probably have a very little idea. So, you know, the worst thing for them is that they say, yeah, no worries, go and get a drink and come back in half an hour and then you miss your set because you're, you know, (laughs) they, yeah, because the show's running all crazy out of time and stuff like that, so... Whatever is what it is. Good place, awesome crowd, heaps of nice people to talk to. Everyone's real keen for photos and it makes you feel like you're a bit special, which is pretty awesome. Show itself for us went pretty well. Some screw ups, some tour tips number three, four, and five. Thank you, Mr. Cotrail. <laughs> and uh, I would say tour tip number one, at very least, is um, yeah, if you are in a place that you can tell is running a little bit off schedule perhaps save the beers (laughs) for maybe an hour or two later because yeah it was so hot in the venue that yeah I started drinking beer but I did space it with water that was pretty good but yeah by the time we got to our set I thought oof one more drink and I was the sunken Norwegian so (laughs) it was good fun
0: yeah I was about the same also went pretty hard on that um and yeah, it is. It is cool, sort of having people being so amazed to see you around the place and asking for photos. Also, the um, we did do a meet and greet, uh, which was pretty interesting time. And again, it was like you never know what time it's going to be. And then they call, they pull you up and say, "Please come now. It's going to be in five minutes." And you're standing there for ages. And you're like, "Can I go for a piss or something?" No, 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 no. And you wait for ages. But anyway, we got up, and that was with um, in Tomb Day D we got to share a table with who also had no idea what was going on, but. We both sat there um, looking at the people that were watching us and they had uh, two sort of MC, commentator type people speaking in Indonesian about us, um, asking some funny questions and uh, apparently they were talking just about um, the image of metalheads, beards, long hair, black clothes, but having nice personas. So that's pretty interesting. Um, And then when people come up with things to sign and they give us entombed shirts, also humorous.
1: Yeah, that was pretty
0: hilarious. Uh, but yeah, yeah, pretty good. But yeah, also drinking beers then and then then having a set after that, to probably to a tip number one, as you said. Yeah. Um, but it was a pretty huge stage. We got to play on the indoor stage, which turned out to be really cool. It had aircon in there, um, away from the heat and away from the rain. People still smoke durries in there, um, but it was a really cool room. I was sort of expecting like a um an, a, an outdoor sort of tent sort of thing where the indoor stage would be, but it was like literally a building, like a convention center th- sort of stage. Mm. That was really cool. But yeah, I thought our set went pretty good. We've definitely had worse. Mm. Uh, luckily, we played a bunch of new songs so no one would notice when we screw up. I can't wait to tell you what the issue with my guitar was. Oh, can you tell me? In the last song, because I've just bought this new um, whole new rig because I've had a lot of issues with my uh, Kemper rig, which you would have heard about if you listened to every episode. Um, but I've got a Hughes & Kettner Tube Man, which is like a small uh, foot switch that you have in front of you as you play, but it's got a tube in it, and I was running that through a power amp and through um, the Marshall cabs on stage, and it was really good. I was really happy with that. Um, all was going well. The last song, it just stopped working, and I thought maybe a tube blew or um, I just had no idea. It was just a typical thing, but I just had to play around with it um, an hour ago and um, saw that the lead I was using had completely snapped. <laughs> So it was uh, my guitar lead the whole time.
1: Oh, Christ. But I don't know how
0: that just happens after, you know, with one song to go, it just sort of snaps. And I'd actually, I'd warmed up with that lead as well, and I was tuning my guitar with it, and it was all working <laughs> fine. So I don't know if that's even a tour tip, but. That's what it was. Sorry, is that
1: the lead from your guitar to the pedal? Uh, exactly, yep. Yep. So was it like down
0: near your strap probably where you do loop it around a bit maybe? Yep, exactly. Oh,
1: geez, man.
0: I didn't even think to try that one because that lead had been fine, but I was trying to unplug because I had a, a metal zone and a tuner and stuff running through it as well. So I was unplugging all that and then just running direct into the using um, <laughs> Ketner and uh, that didn't solve my problem, but turns out it was the lead to my guitar.
1: Yeah, that's a funny one. And it was with all of 30 seconds to go of the set, so it didn't really make that much of an impact. It probably sort of killed our impact for the closing of our set, but didn't, you know it wasn't that bad in the scheme of things, not like anyone would write home about it, except for you or me on this podcast. <laughs> so the tour
0: rig really did work out. It did, yeah, so I'm pretty confident for the next time we play now. worked really well. Um, had that metal zone for a bit of a bo- uh, boosting gain, and that kept me pretty happy. Uh, easy to switch between clean and distortion so I was stoked and I'd be pretty happy using something like that going forward
1: yeah so just to clear it up for all the listeners out there that tube band is basically you could call it a preamp pedal maybe it's like three channel has clean overdrive and high gain slash boost and on three different switches it's got a, a tube or a couple of tubes I don't know in it yeah it's just a conventional pedal but it's designed for people who are recording at home to plug straight into their interfaces because it doesn't have a power amp. So yeah, Cabo was running that into his, is it a 44 Magnum, that little pedal you got? And yeah, straight into a cab. But yeah, I thought it was a really cool idea and I thought it actually sounded like quite good. Um, And it's an idea that, that was sort of born out of me and Cabo watching The Freak on a Leg at <laughs> Jethro Tull, whose guitarist was using a stripped back version called the Hughes and Ketner Tube Factor into a Fender amp. And it was this like pretty crushing distortion with heaps of saturation. Yeah, I mentioned it to Cabo and next thing he fucking buys one and I'm like, oh man, I've never actually used one. So yeah, I'm really glad it worked.
0: Oh well, yeah, we found one uh, on eBay for 200 bucks secondhand. It arrived on the day that, we, that I flew out so I just had a, a little quick test with it, and it was totally awesome. Two point two kilos straight in the hand luggage, perfect.
1: That's insane, hey! I can't believe it just worked after all the like, all the bloody testing and trialing you do with that uh, with that fucking camper, and like, oh, reading the manual and reinstalling firmware, and this thing rocks up <laughs> on the day
0: you use it for the first time, and it's perfect. Yeah, would recommend. Pretty good. Anyway, so, yeah, our set was fine. I uh, had a pretty big crowd. I was pretty happy with that. And um, we finished up and got to continue our drinking, hang around backstage, watched a bunch of bands. I saw Black Dahlia and Murder, who were the, probably the highlight for me. Abath were not too shabby, pretty funny to watch. And we sort of bailed a bit early and opted to go in the hotel pool instead of watching Megadeth. Pretty wrecked by that point. Too tired. Quite a smart thing.
1: Yeah. In terms of um, my tour of rig... I brought just pedals and cymbals, didn't take a snare last minute and that was mostly because Dyson said we didn't have as much luggage as we normally would. So, um, yeah, I left that at home. End ended up being a good decision because there was, you know, a snare there, a uh, backline snare, which was pretty good. Um, one thing that did happen is while Louis from Depravity was playing, the band before him had a problem with the kick drum, which was that the drummer put his foot through it. And yeah, he chucked a bunch of gaffer on and then Louis like found out as he was setting up his pedals, which really sucked because that's when we were up doing that stupid press conference thing. And if I'd known about it at the time, I would have, and been down there with him, I would have run around looking for like a piece of card or something that we could at least uh, gaffer tape to it because I don't know if anyone's experienced this out there, but I broke a kick head once, like mid set. And it was just going to take too long to swap over a kick drum. So, yeah, I put gaffer on it. But then what would happen is as my pedal was hitting the gaffer, it was ripping the top layer off and it was actually sticking to it so it wouldn't rebound. And it was like one of the most frustrating sets I've ever played. And that was happening a little bit to Louis. So, at the end of every song, fortunately, he had heaps of gaffer. He just put another layer on, so it was a fresh layer. But, um, yeah, if you don't have unlimited gaffer, that can be a real drama. So, I would always suggest... To get something like um, if there's a dead skin there and you've got a knife or some scissors, you can cut a square of the old skin out. Or if you get something like card, or worse comes to worst, like a piece of paper that you fold a bunch of times and basically make one of those little click pads that or skin protectors whatever they are that you'd commonly receive for free when you buy a kick drum skin and then you can gaffer like the top bottom and sides of that so the pedals hitting something that doesn't have a sticky surface underneath
0: anyway apart from that it was all good uh also tour tip number one bring a pen
1: that was our very first tour tip do you know
0: was it bring a pen
1: yeah back in like 2013 or something like that back in um yeah tour tip number one i brought one and lost it by the the end of the trip so i had to borrow yours or Dicey's or something.
2: Yeah,
0: for the planes filling Did those things in. Did you bring things in. No, I didn't. Forgot. Don't even use my own tour checklist, which you can get at BantoolsHQ.com. That is now operational.
1: Oh, oh, so what happened with that?
0: Well, uh, so my other podcast website, BantoolsHQ.com, uh, was down I couldn't get into access it at all I've just messaged Bluehost who are the hoster of that one and um, they've just noted that the podcasting plugin I'm using had some sort of error so they've disabled that uh, and the website's back up again but the podcasts are obviously down until I contact them which I will do after after this one Oh cripes at least you got to mm. the route of the problem hey does it? Is there anything more to cover on Hamasonic? Not really that I can think of. Yeah, if there's any questions out there, just flick us a message, go to com. you know the drill. Get in touch with us and we'll raise it on the next episode. Um, but it was fun and it was probably um, our last show for a fair while, I dare say, um, with Jim, our bassist, moving to America and our album still not released. Um, mm. Therefore, yeah, that was kind of cool to go out on a bang I guess for a little while while we do what we do behind the scenes. So speaking of the Band Tools podcast
1: which I think is an amazing resource for all people in bands I've I've been thinking a little bit more over I guess just talking to you for the last few years on this shitty podcast and now listening to your thing about like self-management and DIY and stuff it really struck me that one I've can't believe how much more I know about that shit just from spy osmosis almost. <laughs> Hearing you talk about all the shit, it's not really my interest but it, it's just become something I know now inherently which is pretty crazy. But yeah, it got, also got me thinking like if I was a band not Claim a Throne who is run by Cabba but if I was a new band, what would I do? And I was, I was chatting to a guy who I've been doing some mixing and stuff for yeah. and he's asking me about the Prime Cuts label which he didn't realize had actually stopped being a thing very recently and he was like oh oh no where do I go to get a label and it got me thinking like how much do we really need labels these days maybe not on a sort of a more international level but if it's your first release or something like that I reckon it's a, a pretty cool thing that just by yourself you can sort out your own online distro through Bandcamp also the streaming thing with Spotify and Apple Music just by going through CD Baby or something similar. And then, yeah, you can pay someone to do your promo, pay someone like Cabba to review your social media footprint and your website and all that and give you some tips. And basically you can do the job of a label all from your house on your internet, which I think is a pretty awesome thing.
0: No, it is. And I think it's pretty amazing for the same reason, uh, which is why I do that podcast basically as well. Um but, I mean, yeah, we've chatted about this before, but I think it always it always depends on your goals as a new band. Um, you know, if, if, if you're happy just getting your music out to as many people as you can and you're planning on sort of building yourself over a few years, then there's no need to sort of hunt down a record label or a distro sort of straight away unless you really have no idea what you're doing on the internet. But, you know, if you can just spend a few hours each week trying to learn a couple of different tools, you know, like your Bandcamp, Spotify, website, email, Facebook, all that stuff. If you can do all that, then, you know, there's no reason why you can't, um, you know, really maximize the amount of people that you can get your music out to and sort of start building a name for yourself. And then when you're ready, you know, if you want to be doing more touring or you really have higher goals to get your music out to on a, a really high global scale, then, then sure. That's when you'd start, um, Looking at labels or distro that can get you further than you could do yourself, um, but I think to start out with, yeah, sure, like mm-hmm. do it yourself, and it's a, a great learning opportunity as well, um, which we've also spoke about before. The amount of things you learn through your own band that you can then do in the workplace as well, and you can get jobs that you might never have thought you'd be able to get. But the skills you learn by using a computer, using uh, you know Microsoft package, using. All sorts of administration stuff, Uh, and and, in marketing and all sorts of different skills. Um, I think it's really good for your own development, and just to get a feel of how things work. You know, start start low. um, You know, do the hard yards, and then you'll get there in the end. That's why people hate Australian Idol so much because people like that just can hit stardom without actually doing any work apart from having a good voice. Yeah, don't know where I'm going with that really, but um, it leads me to a point of the next episode of Bound Tools HQ, which is not recorded yet. Riddle me this, Largie. What do you think is more valuable for selling an album? $10 or an email address?
1: Well, I feel like you're a cunning trickster and I reckon the (laughs) the real answer is probably an email address because, and I'll tell you why, I've bought a plug-in when I mixed our album in fucking October last year called JST Clip. And it's it's based on a plugin called GClip, as far as I'm aware, that used to be out for Windows years ago, and now that guy's moved to Mac, and he's got a plugin company, so we made one. Anyway, long story short, I needed that plugin, bought it, and ever since I bought that fucking plugin, which was very cheap, I think I got it on a deal, he keeps. No, I don't even feel hassled by it, but I get so much marketing emails from him that are kind of unique and cut through and. Every, you know, it might be giving me a tip one week, it might be um, telling me about a new product that don't buy it, just check it out or have you ever thought about using something like this? Well, we've got something available, you don't have to buy it, whatever. And I don't know, I actually kind of enjoy reading that kind of stuff and it did lead me to uh, finding out about a new course that some guy started doing. I didn't, you know, I didn't particularly enjoy it but then I got a free plug-in from this guy and um yeah anyway long fucking rambling ass story short i think yeah maybe it is an email because for him i think i'll be another customer down the track uh if i ever need something because i I learn more about him every time and i kind of appreciate him now it's pretty interesting
0: awesome awesome interesting it's a tough one because um you know you put so much hard work into getting your album done, and you spend so much money on recording and gear, and the time taken to put it all together. It's sort of hard to give it away for zero dollars. Um, but you know that's what we've spoke about with Bandcamp in the past. How it's cool that you can sell something for zero dollars, but the person getting it can also decide, can choose to pay you more. And so you might sell a bunch for $0 but then you might sell one for $50 which you wouldn't normally sell that much so it might even out in the end. Mm. Um, But the hope is that people might buy merch or come to your gig with that money which doesn't always happen in reality but that's the theory. Um, But I've been thinking about it a lot lately because we're sort of in this position where we've got this album coming out and we're holding off because we're trying to get a label because that's just sort of aligns with what we're trying to do at the moment but... If that didn't happen, how would we do it? You know, Do we just do the normal thing and get a physical CD and just release it on every single possible online um, platform that's available or do we be quite strategic about it? And I stumbled across this tool called Noise Trade and the whole concept of that website is that you can you sell your album on there but instead of charging money, you're charging an email address and a postcode so you find out where your fans are from So you know where to tour, and you get an email address so that you can um, you keep in touch with that person and uh, promote to them directly as opposed to through social media. So it's interesting, and I think as a really young band, if you're not too concerned about making money, if you're not expecting to sell too many copies of your album, you know maybe you're not expecting to sell any more than say fifty CDs. Then you know what's what's you know a few hundred dollars when you can get you know twenty to fifty email addresses of fans that you can keep in touch with, tell them about your future projects and then make a bit of money in the future, build a bit of rapport with them that way, advertise your gigs and your other merch and stuff like that, try and get money that way. So it's a kind of a crazy concept of um, giving shit away, which, yeah, is seems to be where the, the future of music is going with streaming and everything as well, getting, you know, half a cent for each stream on Spotify. Any thoughts on that shit?
1: That is quite interesting, man. It leads me to think about something. I remember when I was in a band years and years ago and we had a CD single. It was like a song on two B-sides and like it was the camps were split. It was like two of us were saying, let's just give it away because who the fuck is going to buy this shit? And the other two were like, no, man, we it cost us two grand to do this whole recording And yeah, it's like, well, are we ever going to recoup that two grand? And in the scheme of things between five guys, that's, I can't do the maths, 400 bucks or something.
0: Yeah, about 400 sounds right. Why would we care about
1: 400 bucks? I can tell you right now, I spend 400 bucks every couple of months or so on utter shit. Yeah, maybe it is just worth doing something, especially if you can follow it up with some strategic marketing. And also, you know, that opens up maybe potential tour areas or whatever. And if those people were interested enough to check your album out and they think you're cool, then maybe they might, like me with this other guy, welcome some emails from you as well. So yeah, pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting and I have no idea <clears throat> what, um, yeah, what position to take on it really, but I don't know, it's an interesting thought. And I mean, even 10 years ago, people, like you said, you'd give your music away for free. Some people would be out after gigs giving out free copies of their demo album sort of thing, you know, just a slipcase of 10 songs. For nothing in the hope that you would come to their next gig and buy a t-shirt and you know pay entry and get money from you that way and hope to build fans who you know might not have found out about you otherwise they wouldn't be willing to pay for the money out front but if it's free they'll give it a shot
1: yeah and you can look at it in a number of ways like and you can obviously do that for anything in the world you can kind of justify your reasoning but yeah if by giving away your album for free. That you'd normally charge 10 bucks for, which is crazy to talk about us selling albums for 10 bucks because even back in the day, being an indie artist, you'd still charge 20 for them and like 15 bucks was going too cheap. Um, so, yeah, you could charge $10, or you could give them an email. And then if they come to your show one day because they've heard about it, then maybe that's where you get your 10 bucks off them. In your idea, you'd only sell it exclusively on this. Noise trade or whatever.
0: Possibly, depending what your strategy was. Um, I've got a few cool ideas that you can listen to on the Bantools podcast on the next episode, which I won't go into now. But yeah, that's sort of what I'm saying you'd put it maybe on there instead of a bandcamp, for example. Where in bandcamp you'd might be able to sell the digital album for ten dollars and they take a twenty percent cut or whatever it is, but yeah, you generally don't get the data on the person making the purchase. Although perhaps you do on Bandcamp. Um, because they generally buy through PayPal and you get an email like that, but it's, they're not sort of technically signing up for your mailing list. Um, but on something like Spotify, you might get shitloads of streams, but you don't know who is streaming it and where and why. Sorry, sorry back to your question. I would think that, yeah, this would be a sole, sole release, at least to start with.
1: Great idea. I think that's very interesting mm. and that's definitely something to consider. Um, it, does, it does seem a touch... Like you could get emails another way, like, you know, have a prompt that goes out, sign up for our MailChimp or thanks for purchasing via Bandcamp. So you maybe could weasel that in. But yeah, giving away music is a real funny thing. Um, It's good to get something in return. Absolutely. If it's not going to be money. But I was doing this little thought experiment last week about Metallica and think about the bands that you've heard complain about like especially the Napster generation and piracy and how bands aren't getting money and music's a free commodity these days and I think of Metallica I've heard an interview with Cradle of Filth a few years ago um, him really strongly against streaming and all that kind of stuff the, the, that was the, one of the guitarists I think and a few other big bands and these are bands who sold in excess of 500,000 copies and in Metallica's case you know tens of millions of copies And I kind of got thinking like if you had tens of millions of streams um, at half a cent, you'd probably be walking away with quite a lot of money. Um, Whereas if you had 500,000 sales uh, from and you're a mid-90s band, your record deal was probably pretty crap and you only drew a small royalty off each CD anyway. So I think percentage-wise compared to plays... Take an album like Dusk and Her Embrace by Cradle of Filth. Surely I've listened to that album 50 times, right? I wouldn't have a clue how many times, but let's pretend it's 50 over the years, maybe even 100. That's like 100 or 50 times 0.5 of a cent. And if you take that 500,000 people all listening to it, you know, between 10 and 100 times, that's a shitload of money off
0: that. So you had the CD and you probably paid, say, $20 for it. Yeah. But if you had have streamed that as many times as you listen to it would that work out at more than twenty dollars
1: depends what their deal is i think in the case of metallica probably not because it in the late 80s they signed that kind of mega deal where they got heaps of cash off each uh, cd sale but something interesting happens where when you sign to a label back in the old days you get uh you get an advance and it might cover some tour support a film clip and your recording costs and probably and production costs and that kind of stuff. But then you got to pay it back off CD sales, but you're not paying it off uh, $20 per CD. You're paying it off your minuscule portion of that $20, which might be a dollar, and that's a lot, you know. Um, and, yeah, so you're never going to pay off this debt. But if you just went into debt personally, managed your own uh, recording and film clip, you could probably get away with a real quality recording, especially in this day and age. For five grand would give you an amazing... Recording, if you were all good players and had your songs worked out in any old studio, in any friggin' studio, you could get away with that, and then you could release it yourself and on Bandcamp, and then you're not under pressure to get tens of millions of streams to recoup, you know, the hundreds of thousands of dollars. You see, you ever seen that uh, year and a half Metallica doco? Don't know, maybe not. So they they recorded the Black album like over a seriously long period of time. I think with touring in between and stuff. But I mean, they were renting a mansion plus essentially a, a portable professional studio to be permanently set up in this mansion with a famous high class producer, engineer, assistant catering every day. Like the amount of money they friggin spent on that thing. Of course, they're going to be shitty about receiving half a cent per stream. Whereas like when we record our album, it's after we've already gone to work for the day. We're all wearing our super highest hoodies, <laughs> you know, eating two minute noodles and just hanging out and it really doesn't cost us anything but our time. So, you know, there's a bit. it's a bit more relaxed and we can throw around something a bit more flippantly like giving away our CD.
0: I guess it sort of depends whether you're more interested in sort of recouping your money and just getting you know enough fans to make it worthwhile and you know get a few people that are really into it and just hope that it spreads word of mouth or whether you're more interested in getting it to a really massive audience Um, and that's where you'd sort of go finding a proper distro and everything like that but um yeah, Metallica in a Mansion. I don't know. Um, that arti- I don't know if you ever read that article years ago, or maybe, I don't know how long ago it was, but it's just doing the rounds again on social media now for some reason. That band called Pomplamoose from Canada or America or something. No. They were one of the first bands to have a crowdfunding campaign for a tour and they crowdfunded funded 100 grand to do an american tour.
2: Hmm.
0: I can't remember how many dates it was, quite a few, maybe 50 dates or something. 100 grand and at the end of the tour they did this big article, well they had to to show their fans how they spent the money that they got and it cost them like 147 grand Whoa. and they were sort of like the whole angle of the article was to show people that it's quite expensive to be in a band and do touring and that's why it costs that much. But everyone tore them to shreds saying, this is why it costs so much. Look how much you could have saved if you had of eaten meagering instead Mm -hmm. of um, going to wherever fine dining steak restaurant. And if you had of, you know, stayed in an RV instead of a a 20 seat of mansion van. And if you hadn't have got all this ridiculous crew that you got. Uh, So... Yeah, interesting. I mean, we've had that <laughs> conversation about other bands as well, who've who've done that and then complain about how expensive touring is. But it, it yeah, it doesn't have to be that expensive.
1: Yeah, no, neoblues cars don't need a semi trailer to drive around in. No,
0: thei'ras motor definitely don't need that many pairs of shoes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not really sure about that one. I didn't read it, but yeah, I've I've seen heaps of stuff, and you just do wonder. Like, I, I always think like, oh wow, when we have the band pay for, let's say. Hungry Jack, you know, I'm like, oh, my God. It's a big deal, yeah. Is this on the band? Because, yeah, we've always just put in our own money on tour because, yeah, we're trying to, you know, the band's money is the band's money, not ours. Um, Eating is something that we do as humans, not as band members, which is pretty crazy. But, um, hey, I just had a quick Google of um, all-time, I don't know when this is from, all-time top 30 albums according to streaming. Okay. And number one is Adele with almost a billion but number two, would you believe, is Metallica. Mm. And if you did it at half a cent a stream, they've made an 11 and a half million dollars of streaming. <laughs> and that's after they've already sold however many albums there. Um,
0: Fire out, hey.
1: Isn't that insane? And so you, you do wonder like um, that I just don't think they had the foresight to sort of see that. And obviously they didn't because, yeah, some kind of monster, they've got a friggin' psychologist on payroll for 125 grand a month or something. <laughs> so, you know, I think, yeah, people just got to get their shit together and so to boil it back down to the local grassroots level because we've gone on a huge tangent. But, yeah, if you're able to get away with recording an album for, I mean, anywhere up to $5,000 is quite reasonable for five people. If you only record an album once every two years, it's not hard to save a thousand bucks. If you're just smart about money during the tough times, you can still, you know, squirrel away little bits for two years and, yeah, you've got a grand to blow on an album as a band member, so.
0: And, look, you've just got to do – I mean, it, well, this is if you're a gigging band, but just do a few gigs and the amount of bands that don't even ask for their payment after a gig and then complain about how expensive things are is just – Bewildering, And, I mean, even if you're only getting $100 a gig or $200 a gig, whatever you can get, a bit, a little bit of merch, it adds up. And, you know, if you can save up a, a grand, two grand or whatever, that's that's a fair chunk off your $5,000 of top-class recording.
2: Hmm.
0: And, I mean, it's going to be a hard slog at, at the start. Um, but you just keep doing these your local shows. You start booking your own shows. You get good lineups. You're smart about money. You know, give your, your own band a good chunk, if, especially if you book the gig, you deserve it. And, you know, it'll over time, Yeah, the bank builds up. I mean, I'm pretty proud that we could even go to Hamasonic with flights on band money last weekend. And that's not from grants or funding or anything. That's our own money from, mm. from saving up from gigs and merch and not blowing it on shit. So, you know, stick it out and you can, you can get there and stuff can happen.
1: You know, another thing too is I was looking at studios overseas because I'm going to Europe in July and one of the things on my list of things to do is to just, you know, track a song or something like that in a studio in another country. And yeah, I was looking at prices and and it kind of struck me that, you know, these studios that our favorite bands, especially in this underground metal world in Europe are like roughly the same price for those engineers and studios as the equivalent guys are in Perth. To- makes total sense, right? And so, yeah, like it's pretty feasible to think if you're in a band, you know, like Moonsor or something like that, you could make an album that sounds really cool that people in Australia love on that same budget because to go back to our album that is unreleased, we recorded drums in an actual studio, which was Studio Underground. And I believe the like general day rate for a dry hire is like 450 ish or something like that, or maybe it was slightly less, I can't really remember. Let's say it was 400 and then Engineer Al was roughly 200 bucks. So you're talking 600 a day, and we did that for three days uh, to do the drums. And if you tack on a few days for guitar, a few days for vocals, and a day for bass, and a couple of days of mixing, yeah, it, it adds up. But yeah, you're still getting away with well under... five thousand dollars is probably closer to four really for you know what is a professional studio with a highly experienced professional recording engineer and mixer and mastering engineer you know that's without even a shred of DIY in the mix like if you were to do some DI guitar tracks at home DI bass tracks and then reamp them in the studio through Wicked Gear. Like, yeah, I reckon your idea, or not your idea, but the idea you're going to talk about of just giving your shit away for an email address, perfectly, perfectly feasible if you just play your cards right to begin with and aren't stressing about money.
0: Awesome, man. I like it. What next? Anything else?
1: What's you been listening to, buddy?
0: Uh, Well, I had a few days in Bali with my friend Jim, (laughs) and he always whips out the most ridiculous music you would ever hear, but um, he's been getting a lot into this crazy-ass um, thrash music uh, that's going around at the moment, and I'm hooked. So he's got me into the band Evil Invaders that I've never heard before until um, yeah the last few weeks. Um, so I'll chuck my album of the week as Pulses of Pleasure by Evil Invaders if you want to check it out, and it's just, yeah, the most ridiculous vocals you will ever hear, but actually amazing at the same time. Super fast, super energetic, uh, you know, fans of all sorts of metal and thrash and punk and all alike. You will definitely dig it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You heard a bit of that, eh? Pretty funny.
1: Yeah, we were listening to some of that darker half tour
0: yeah yeah
1: in the car and it was funny because uh vo from darker half like after jim had put on like five different bands he's he's like i think i'm detecting a pattern here jim <laughs> you like stuff that's hilarious <laughs> yeah it is funny and i think we should definitely go out with a song of that so keep that that list up yes yeah, for me i've been sort of revisiting a whole bunch of crap i'd messaged you the other night i'd listen to a few songs have you seen that thing going around about suicide silence Making the worst album of all time.
0: Uh, I have seen the headings of the articles. I haven't read anything about it.
1: Yeah, so I don't know much about it either. But my friend Owen told me that yeah, apparently they made a really bad album. So I went and listened to it uh, without actually reading the article. And yeah, it's it's quite hilarious because it's extremely raw. Like you can tell there's bugger all editing. Like the drums are a bit sloppy in parts. Mm. But it's, man, it's as close to new metal as you could possibly get for a band like a deathcore band. And, yeah, there's some pretty bad singing. Anyway, so, yeah, just listening to some weird shit and going down some strange rabbit holes.
0: Oh, I am keen to give it a listen to see what, what all the fuss is about. Oh,
1: it was just pretty funny. But that's definitely not my album of the week. That's just a point of interest. Album of the week would have to be, I'd say, Catatonia, The Great Cold Distance.
0: Get out of here. Are you joking? No,
1: nah, I'm not, man. I just... some. Uh, I was listening to a podcast and the guy was mentioning how he recorded bass in a particular way, so I chucked it on and left it on. Sick. That's that's my story.
0: I feel like you're taking the piss out of me by putting that there.
1: <sighs> I know it was either going to be that or Ahab the Giant, which has been done <laughs> 43 <laughs> yeah. other times. So, yeah, um,
0: cool. oh, that's a sick album, man. Good stuff.
1: No, it is cool, and I did did give it extra time because you have mentioned it a bunch of times in the past. So sick as a dick. Yeah. All right. All right, what, what Evil Invaders song are we going out with?
0: Oh, man, got to go with uh, something that describes Jim's personality and that is the song Fast, Loud and Rude <laughs> off the Pulses of Pleasure album. <laughs> so chuck that on, yeah. that'd be really good. Make sure you check out Evil Invaders uh, on the net and on Facebook. Super cool band, hopefully they come to Australia one day. Yeah. And if you dig that, move on to Ranger and then just follow the uh, whatever YouTube recommends. <laughs> the into yellow brick road. The dirty <laughs> path of... Absurd thrash.
1: Yeah, Rangers hilarious, aren't they? That guy's <laughs> Um
0: Real good. I love that Jim is so into technical death metal, and then he's just discovered that power metal can also be just as extreme. And now it's this, this thrash is just like blows all of it out of the water.
1: Real good. I actually quite enjoyed listening to it in the pool the other day, just cranked with all kids, like little Indonesian <laughs> kids doing bombies. And we were listening to (laughs) Evil Invaders. It was pretty great. What a time.
0: Real good. Cool, man. Thanks for the chat. No worries, mate. Speak again next time. You will. See you later.